and hello again everyone and welcome to another episode of the South Texas Border Sports Podcast. My name is Ray Silva and I thank you for joining us on episode number three of season number four. Don't forget our podcast is available through Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course our latest platforms on Amazon Music and on iHeartRadio.com. Uh, folks, if you've missed any of our previous seasons, just log on to Spotify, search our podcast called the South Texas Border Sports Podcast. You'll be able to find all of our previous episodes with all of our special guests. And speaking of guests, joining me today, he is from the Chicagoland area. He is now residing in the Rio Grande Valley. He is one of my favorite on-air talents to deal with, whether he's doing football games for Westlake ISD or he's doing the Rio Grande Valley Vipers or getting some nice journalistic pieces which you can find in the monitor or just dealing with him in general it's my absolute privilege to bring along from Harrison Broadcasting he is Scott Harrison Thank you very much, Scott, for taking time out of your busy schedule for joining me on this episode of the podcast. How are you? Well, Ray, it's an honor to be with you. Of course, you're one of the hardest working people I know, working with UTRGV. And of course, I always see you at the Vipers games, working over there on the scores table. And, you know, you're just a real busy man, and it's fun to talk with you. We talk many times socially. So once we're going to get to talk professionally, and let's have some fun. Yes, thank you so much for for just stopping by. So, Scott, you know, you've had many, many roles in the journalistic industry. Uh, but how did you just get your first role, and how would you des- uh, describe your first role and now, uh, up to now, with the Rio Grande Valley Vipers organization? Just how does how that first role uh, teach you all the way up to now? Well, I'll tell you, you know, I always wanted to be a journalist when I was in grade school. I guess seventh or eighth grade, they had us write sort of an autobiography. And I said my goal was to be a sportscaster. And actually, when I was about 13 or 14 years old, I did some public address announcing for some junior high track meets at my high school. And doing stuff like this ever since was sports editor of my high school newspaper. So just kept doing things I could. And for a while, I worked as a disc jockey because back when the 70s were here, there weren't a lot of sports jobs on the radio. We didn't have all sports stations yet. But as time went on, there were more opportunities and did that. Also, when I was in Mobile, Alabama, I knew some people that wanted me to do some writing for their newspaper, the Press Register. So I started doing that and, of course, got kind of in the early going of when there was network radio and over the years i've been a correspondent with espn still with sirius do some st- uh, stuff with fox which of course is an iheart company 
you talked about them earlier, and again, many other networks. And AP was one of my early networks I worked for, and it's been fun. I've got to do a lot of cool things. I've been in about seven Super Bowls. I've been in 10 Final Fours, whether it be men's or women's, and of course, been to about 300 NFL games for a couple years. I was the sports information director for the Padres Double A team in Mobile, Alabama, and one of the guys I met was Jake Peavy, and if that name sounds familiar, well, he wound, he wound up uh, winning a Cy Young Award with the San Diego Padres, and something unique, in back-to-back seasons, he won championships, World Series titles in both the American League and National League. I forget which order it was, but one year he won with the Boston Red Sox, and then one year with the San Francisco Giants, and that's very unusual, something like that. Of course, I guess I should have known that eventually I would wind up in the Rio Grande Valley. I worked a lot of places. I went to Ohio University to get my degree. My first professional radio job was in Parkersburg, West Virginia, and, of course, I moved around. like warm weather, so a lot of my jobs have been in the South. Again, went back up North for the NBA All-Star game right before COVID hit when it was in Chicago, And it was the coldest Valentine's Day in 77 years. I'm walking down near Lake Michigan at midnight, and it's zero degrees with a minus 27 wind chill. And you should know that I was glad to get back to the Rio Grande Valley as soon as I could, though I enjoyed the All-Star game. But again, a lot of things, you know, make you, and a lot of things are there as part of your career. But again, when I was born, I was born on November 9th, 1959. And as mentioned, I figured I might wind up down here someday. And here's why. I didn't know this till just a few years ago. But the Sports Illustrated issue that came out on November 9th, 1959, had Bobby Lackey on the cover. And yes, that's the same Bobby Lackey that was a quarterback at the University of Texas, a great player for Westlaco. The stadium is named after him where Westlaco plays. Well, that was the first time a Texas Longhorn was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and it was on the day I was born. So that's pretty cool. And maybe it's ironic that I'm here, and maybe it's ironic I'm talking with you now, Ray. <laughs> Yeah, most certainly. I mean, just a, a, a lot of tie-ins right there. Uh, but, you know, Scott, er, er, every journalist story has its beginning. And you mentioned that you did a public address announcing at a junior high track meet. But I, I, I guess the, my, the question becomes for you, when did, when did money now become, like, say... It, Hey Scott, I need for you to go uh, cover this event for me. Here is uh, here is some meal money. Here's money for the story. When, when uh, I mean, I know it's not a, the glamorous job that it, a lot of people uh, thinks it is, but for you, when when did the like for you personally become uh, enticing for you to just uh, being there at events to cover? And, you know, the, the money, the, part of it comes into play for you. Like, what was your first paid assignment for covering sports or even a, a lifestyle story for you? Well, I know my first stories were with the paper in Mobile. And I guess I was probably covering high school football at the time. And then I became kind of their hockey writer. 
I was still freelance. I you always had like two or three jobs. It's hard to make it in this kind of lifestyle. A few people have made it really big. You know, you think of Rush Limbaugh making all the money he made in radio. And actually, he started, I think, working with the Kansas City Royals in their sports information department. But, you know, a lot of us have multiple jobs. I did through a lot of my career. I worked as a disc jockey, did high school dances, worked in nightclubs, did a lot of things to get by. But, you know, you mentioned my first paying job. I'll get to that in a moment. But, again, I guess my first job that really made me comfortable being around celebrities and thinking that I could do it. I'm 19, actually 17 years old, a freshman in college, working for a cable college radio station at Ohio University. And it's ironic because I know the Globetrotters come to the Valley. I think they're coming again soon. And I got to interview the legendary Metal Arc Lemon. So that was really cool. And on and off, again, I, again, I was working as a disc jockey a lot, as a news director and things like that. And it was hard to find full-time jobs in sport, sports. I got hooked up with the networks. You know, they started coming on the air, a lot of these full-time networks in the early 90s. So I made money doing that. But here's something interesting. I guess it was in the mid-90s. Now, the first all-sports radio station in America came on in the late 80s, early 90s. That was WFAN in New York City. But according to them, in Mobile, the first FM station, WFAN was an AM station, the first FM station that broadcast sports 24 hours a day or most of the day was in Mobile, Alabama. It's still around, WNSP, and I got an opportunity to be their first sports director. So I think it's cool that I got to do that and really got to do talk shows and do a lot of interviews and go even more places. So I guess that's really when I tried to get into sports full-time, but it was hard to always keep that job. There aren't a lot of them. I had to go back to doing news for a while in Mobile and in Biloxi. As a matter of fact, when Katrina hit, I did a lot of street news for about four years in Biloxi, met a lot of cool people, met a lot of uh, politicians, was once in the presidential motorcade when George Bush came to town, but I always still would go cover the Saints. I've covered the Saints, by the way, since 1984, had press credentials. And, you know, I have press credentials to the Texans. I covered for about 10 years uh, the New Orleans Hornets slash Pelicans. So no matter what I had for a full-time job, even if it wasn't news, I would always still do sports on the weekends or at night. And so I've really been involved around the sports scene. I know I did that announcing early, but I guess making some money, either freelance or full-time, I guess I've done it since the late 1980s, right? And for you, you know, you've you, you've done a lot of expansive work in all sorts. Of, I know it's hard for 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 me to even ask, like, uh, which one suits your role even best? Because right now you've got uh, you've got a couple of play-by-play -play gigs. You've got Wesco ISD. You've got RGB Vipers, and, and, and both have the different a feel and a different prep for it uh but for you which uh which of the jobs is a, a harder to prepare for is it harder to prepare for general news a pay a play-by-play -play assignment which was a a little bit difficult uh, for for you to to prepare it and and master out a, a game plan for well i'm glad you brought that up it's kind of interesting you know when i was really young back, I don't know, around 21 years old, I had these play-by-play -play jobs in Macomb, Mississippi, small station, but got a chance to do a lot of play-by-play -play basketball and football and things like that. And then, you know, again, kind of did some other stuff, had to be a disc jockey, again, limited work in the sports industry at that time. But, you know, I really didn't think 
I was very good on the air doing play-by-play. I mean, I could do sports reports and things like that. And I could do updates like for national networks. For example, I still work with Sirius and on Channel 88 when there is an NFL game in New Orleans or Houston, I'm at one of them. And yeah, I do the preview between 11 and noon central time on channel 88 and do updates during the game and get them a guess. So I never had trouble doing short updates, but I just never thought I was good at play by play. But one thing that I did develop a skill at, at least well enough that people seem to like, and I'm going to try to put it in terms that people understand, not use too many technical terms, but I would get interviews and they call them sound bites, five or six second, 10 or 11, 12 second, you know, actualities. I'm trying to think of the right word. You actually are talking with a person making the news. For example, back then, maybe Joe Montana, the quarterback of the 49ers in the Super Bowl. I would get a segment of him talking for 15 seconds, but I would have to edit that down for maybe a a 30-minute, not 30-minute, that's not right, maybe a 10-minute interview, a press conference, and then edit that down and find where a relevant piece of talk of his would be good to put on a news or sportscast. I hope I'm getting that right and making that understandable for everybody. And I got to be really pretty good at that. I'm going to be honest. I had AP and UPI, which no longer exists, though UPI used to be a major network. I got hired for them to cover Super Bowls and stuff. And I would cover NBA games for them and major college games. And I did all, but it was a lot of work. I'd be running back and forth to both locker rooms, trying to set up tape players, you know, cassette recorders at that time. And it was a lot of strain, a lot of stress. And, you know, I did that till about 2012, 2013. And then I got real sick. And, you know, Ray, I won't go into all my personal problems because I'm not, that's not my style, but I got real sick and had some health issues. And it, it just got a little too much for me to keep doing that anymore. I did recover. I had to take about a year off from my work, was in the hospital a lot and still, you know, have to watch my health. But, you know, I'm a positive person, a spiritual person, and I'm going to keep going as long as I can. So all of a sudden I said, I just can't do all this running around trying to get all this tape. And also, when you have to edit it, you're sitting in that press box. A lot of times I would go to the Sugar Bowl. And, you know, that game was late anyhow in the old days, and it would start at maybe 7.30 at night. I'd be in the press box till 2 a.m. in the morning, maybe three hours after the game doing this. And so that just got really hard, especially after I got sick. So all of a sudden, I said, I'm going to give it one more shot at doing play-by-play. And, you know... Again, I applied for the Vipers job at one time, and again, I didn't get it that time. It was Carlos Robledo and Jake Barry that got it, but I got to know them. And then eventually Carlos moved on and went to Westlaco, and I never tried to steal their job or anything, but I would just say if it ever came open, maybe I'd be interested again. And it did come open after Carlos went on and went to Westlaco to run K-West, which, again, I work for him now, and he's a great guy to be associated with. The Jake and I did the games for a while. Jake still does public address sometimes with the Vipers. But anyhow, doing all this, all of a sudden, I got more confidence in my play-by-play abilities again. And then I started doing Westlaco. And what I said the first time when I did Westlaco football and also, and, I, and this is the first time I've ever said this publicly, and so you're getting an exclusive. The first time I ever did either one of them, I said, you know, if I'm no good, I'll do it once. And if I'm no good, I'll just retire for good and never do play-by-play again. I mean, I'll still do reporting. I'll still do stuff, updates on network radio. But then, you know, it wasn't all of a sudden like I was the greatest guy in the whole world. Hopefully this is not disrespectful. A guy was not God's gift all of a sudden to play-by-play. But, you know, it got easier. It got better. I started working with some good people, Mark May, and Mark is really good. He's with the Vipers with me. Got He helps bring out the best in me. And I just, I just got more comfortable. And, you know, and this is something as an analogy to athletes. 
All right. You know, they talk about how quarterbacks say is they get more experience than the NFL. Everything slows down. That kind of happened for me doing play by play. I mean, you know, when Vipers ball, you're out of there at courtside, how fast it moves. Well, now it just doesn't move as fast for me anymore. And, you know, also I learned to not say as much and kind of, uh, and also I had a lot of people work with me. Uh, I'll give you an example for all you future broadcasters. When I first started working with AP, they would critique me and they would say to me, you know, your voice goes up too high at the end of sentences. For example, I'll say like, Ray Silva just scored a goal. And they would rather have me say, Ray Silva just scored a goal. You see the difference, Ray? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I learned from people, I listened, and I tried to improve. And I want to mention that to anybody, any work you're in, you know, listen to some people, have some mentors, and try to get better. And don't ever give up. And sometimes you have to back off for a while, like I did from play-by-play. Again, I was never going to do it again. And, of course, I also want to mention this. One of the coolest things is I was getting back into it again. For one year, I did the high school football in New Orleans at Newman High School. And the reason that is really cool was that is the place where the Mannings went and Odell Beckham Jr. went. So it was really cool doing things at their high school. And you would think this was a huge place considering all those NFL guys have gone there that have won or been in Super Bowls. But really, it's a private school, and they only have stands on one side of the stadium. And on the other side, it's a building. There's no stands. It's a building. So the crowds aren't really that big. But again, because the Mannings went there and Odell Beckham Jr. and I think a couple other people, uh, it's really cool. And so it was fun doing, you know, football for a year at the home of the Mannings. And, uh, again, it was, you know, it's always fun being in New Orleans. I enjoyed my time living there. Of course, I enjoy my time in the Valley, Ray. Yeah, absolutely, Scott. You, you know, you, you enjoy your time in the Valley. You, you get to the Valley. You, you're, you're doing a lot for the sport, uh, sports community here in the Rio Grande Valley. But now just shifting our focus now with the Vipers. Uh, they ended up closing their home, uh, uh, I, I guess their homestand with a very positive record. Uh, a lot of uh, positive uh, vibes uh, came out of there last night with their uh, big victory over the Austin Spurs. But what did you see differently now with the addition of, of Jared Culver, a, a player just trying to get, uh, get back into his playing form and just trying to just find his way with with the team now that they're going to embark on a, on almost a month-long uh, road trip. That's correct. They're going to go to Spain. You know, they're going to have a lot of road games. Some of them might participate in NBA All-Star Weekend. Jared Culver, interesting guy, and uh, talked with him last night. You were in there. Um, you know, confident guy. What's cool about him, too, a lot of people might not know this, but, you know, he went to Texas Tech. I think he was the Big 12 Player of the Year, and uh, he talked about how he's got family up in Dallas and San Antonio. Of course, he's from Lubbock. So, you know, that's going to motivate him. Some of his family is going to come down and watch him, and, you know, that isn't intangible. But the tangibles are the fact that this guy's got NBA experience. Played in Memphis, played in Minnesota, had a 10-day contract, or at least a two-way contract, I should say. Played with the Atlanta Hawks. So he's been there. He's done it, you know, and he's a hard worker. Um, You know, I talked about last night how again he's very aggressive and everything and you know i think jay stedman an assistant coach of the vipers he kind of kind of echoed that he said i think he has a lot of energy when he talked to our sideline reporter april marie at halftime so the guy got out there and you know he does a lot of things and of course he's a little rusty and missed some shots but he gets out there and he hustles and i think he's just happy to be here right now 
uh, the Vipers have, you know, a great reputation. And anybody that comes into that building, and I'm not bragging because we live in the Rio Grande Valley. And, you know, I've been around to a couple other stadiums. Uh, I've been up there at Oklahoma City where the Blue play. And they're basically playing in a convention center across the street from where the Thunder play. It's okay. Now, you know, Austin, they play in a pretty nice building down in Cedar Point, but not near as modern as the one we have. And I don't think it has all the bells and whistles, all the entertainment, all the things that make it exciting. And what a fan base last night. And I think that impressed Culver. So I think that's going to motivate him too. No, he's not in the NBA, but he's in a place that's pretty cool. And he just has skills. I think I said that on the air. This man has skills. I don't know how long he's going to be here. I don't know what his goals are eventually, but I think he'll be here for a while. He's trying to get back to the show. And I think he's going to be a big help to the team. You never know when people like Washington is going to come back. Ty Ty Washington Jr., he had 53 points. So when these guys move up, you got to find other gems. And by the way, they did trade away the rights to Trev Queen. He currently, I think, is playing with Fort Wayne. He's got a two-way, I think, with the Indiana Pacers. And Marcus Foster, they traded away his rights. It was a three-way trade. Marcus, by the way, possibly maybe the leading scorer in a Lithuanian league, so I do want to mention that. But you got this guy, and he's going to do well, and uh, as long as he stays healthy. And, again, keep in mind the Vipers won last night with only eight men out there. One of their big men, Ray Spalding, he had a situation where he was sick. And, uh, again, Jalen LeCue, he kind of injured his ankle the night before. I don't think it was serious. Mitchell, though, Trey Mitchell, he has a shoulder injury. He's going to be out. Still, I think, a couple more weeks. And then also you have one more player, Reeves, and uh, I think he's going to be out for a little while. He has, I believe, a knee injury, and that guy is very versatile. So, you know, they've had some injuries, but for to step up and, you know, you got people out there that sometimes don't have a good night shooting. Trevor Hudgens, he last night did come through, started getting his rhythm back, but he's had a few bad games. But you know what he does? He hustles on the floor doing other things on defense, and then he'll go to the basket, get some layups, drive in. He will just abandon that three-point shot a little bit and do other things. And I told him how proud I was of the fact that, you know, he was trying to be a complete player. And Darius Days, man, that guy's got, what, about 13 double-doubles? I think that man is going to get a little ch chance to be at the NBA. He is a two-way player, just like Hudgens with the Rockets. I think he'll see some time up there or somewhere else eventually. Absolutely, Scott. Yeah, And you mentioned Darius Days. You know, he he's a, a player who has uh, – come uh, out of his shell uh, as the season has progressed. But how important is he going to be for the Vipers uh, just down the stretch as uh, he's starting to find his, his footing, you know, whether it's developing his outside shot or continuing to uh, do damage inside the paint? Well, yeah, here, here's the story. You know, the one that the Vipers lost, maybe it was the Mexico City, I think, was because both Hudgens and Days couldn't hit a shot that night, all right? I mean, it was just awful, and you're going to have those kind of nights. But not many when both of them are going to play bad at the same night. So the point of this is, is that if Hudgens has a bad night shooting, you need other people like Days to be able to hit the three-pointers. And, yes, there's not a lot of height on the Vipers. Uh, you got, of course, Willie Cauley-Stein. He's played in 400 games. and Again, he's a seven-footer. I'm not exactly sure of Spalding's height. I know he's not taller than 6'9". And so, you know, you need other people that can rebound because, again, Willie Colley Stein can't be in there the whole time. And like Spalding, you know, has been injured. So Darius Days is going to be one of those guys that's going to have to do some of the work on the boards. And he's been coming through. And that's what they need is versatile players. In this day and age in the NBA, you got to have players that can play many different roles. It's not like years ago. 
you don't get one set role. Uh, you know, maybe if you're Steph Curry or somebody that's a, such a great shooter, you can mostly just do shooting. But other than that, everybody's got to – and, again, that's one thing. For example, Anthony Lamb, who used to be a Viper, that's why he's important being up there with Golden State because why you got Clay Thompson and Steph Curry that are just big shooters. You need other guys to do a lot of the other dirty work, although usually Lamb takes about – three or four three-point shots a game, usually hits a couple of them, but he's usually averaging in double-digit scoring. Saw him in San Antonio when they had that big crowd of 68,000. He's happy to be there. But what I'm saying, and guys like Lamb and the guys with the Vipers we've been talking about, you got to be versatile, and I think you see a lot of versatility. And what I like about Kevin Burleson, i got to mention their coach, I think he's a player's coach, and I think that's what they need. He impacts them. I think they listen to him. And that's just great. He doesn't maybe have that much experience as a head coach, but I talked with Joseph Blair last week with the Wizards. He led the Vipers to a title in 2019, and he spoke very highly of Burleson when he got hired. I text Chris Finch, Minnesota Timberwolves head coach, won a Vipers championship in 2010, and he said the hiring of Burleson was awesome. So the key is getting the most out of the players, and that is where Burleson's going to be strong to get these guys to do what you want to see, Ray. Absolutely. Scott, I just want to thank you so much for uh, just taking the time out of your busy schedule. Uh, I, I, I know you're not big on, on social media, but I just do really thank you for just uh, joining the podcast. Uh, you know, I, I hope to see you. Uh, hopefully at the end of February, which is when the Vipers will be back home from that long uh, road trip where they'll be going out to the West Coast first, and then they'll uh, cross the Atlantic to play in that FIBA International Cup where uh, I hope they can come back with some silverware uh, to already add to the four G League championships that they already have, and uh, hopefully uh, that uh, fifth piece of silverware can... Uh, can be brought back to the Bird Ogden Arena. Well, Ray, again, you're right. I don't do that many interviews. I try to be humble. I'm not here to really toot my horn. But, again, any time for you, my friend. And uh, it's always fun. And maybe next time we do this, I'll tell you about my experience with Michael Jordan. How's that sound? All right. <laughs> a little I, teaser. I, little uh, teaser. Uh, all right. I appreciate that, Scott. Thank you, Ray. God bless you and stay safe. Thank you. Hello, sports fans. Thanks for listening to another episode of the South Texas Border Sports Podcast. This is your host, Ray Silva. Be tuned next week for another great episode as we drop podcasts every Monday here on anchor.fm forward slash STBS. Don't forget, our podcast can also be found via Google Podcast, Apple iTunes, and Spotify. Thanks for listening.